America is faced with one essential question right now. That question being, how much does a dollar really cost? As we approach the divisive crossroads of whether or not to open up this country, we must take a hard look at not only ourselves, but those in power. Thousands are dying every day while protesters rally at capitals demanding the country to be reopened. The systemic oppression of not only minorities, but the working class as a whole is coming to a head in this country. All this while political elites beg us to be martyrs for their financial gain. So I ask you again, how much does the dollar really cost? What's up guys, welcome to the second episode of the Golden Standard. I'm your host Alejandro, and today we're going to be talking about the reopening debate uh, when it comes to the coronavirus pandemic in America. And we're not only going to be talking about that, but we're also going to be talking about how the reopening debate is disproportionately going to affect people of color uh, within the next few weeks and months to come. And I believe this is something that has not been talked about enough, uh, is the fact that coronavirus is disproportionately affecting people of color uh, in America. And, you know, for example, uh, Louisiana released data showing that while African Americans only make up 32% of the population, only 32 they account for 70% of the deaths in this state. Um, and even going on to Michigan, African Americans have died more than eight times the rate of white people, despite making up only 14% of the state's population. And so, you know, you hear these crazy statistics and you may be asking yourself, you know, why is this, why is this happening? Why is uh, people of color being disproportionately affected by this? And... You know, the answer to that is it's not necessarily simple to answer. It's a multifaceted problem. But things such as systemic racism in the healthcare system, higher rates of pre existing conditions, and less access to quality care when it comes to healthcare are all things that play into why people of color are being more affected by the coronavirus. And even studies have shown, and these studies were conducted by the American Journal of Public Health and the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. These studies have shown black people are less likely to have insurance and access to affordable medical testing. Studies looking at manifestations of racial bias within the healthcare system have found black patients are sometimes treated differently than whites, leading to things such as undertreatment of pain and racial differences in what treatment is offered for a heart attack. So this is just one example of how uh, people of color are treated differently in the healthcare system because of the color of their skin. And this is something that has been going on for not even decades. This is something that's been going on since the history of America. And, you know, it's it's kind of showing everyone right now, the coronavirus pandemic is showing everybody what, you know, how truly divided this country is in terms of race not only in terms of race but also in class but primarily in terms of race um, and how people of color and communities of color are being you know are going through so much grief and death and pain right now and you know even Dr. Fauci of the coronavirus task force he said that the health disparities have long been prevalent in the African-American community and that this pandemic is, quote, shining a bright light on how accept- unacceptable that is. And so this is a head doctor, the coronavirus task force, you know, and he, even he's acknowledging that there's huge health disparities in in the minorities of the con- of this country and white people of this country. And, 
that's extremely concerning because, like I said, going back to the reopening debate of a lot of these different states, such as Texas and Georgia, that are deciding to reopen a lot of their different businesses, this is something that is disproportionately going to affect people of color because there is without a doubt, without a doubt, going to be an increase in cases, uh, you know, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, once uh, people start going out more, once people start easing on their social distancing measures. And that's not even up for debate in itself because right now I'm recording this on the 28th of April and there's already been reports of across the country of people not uh, doing their part to make sure that they're socially distant at all times. And it's it's really hard to force people to socially distance. And that's one of the biggest factors of making sure we open up, reopen these states and reopen the economy is that people have to social distance. This is something that's going to have to go until the year 2022, possibly. And, you know, it's just something that is really concerning because we're not going to get anywhere unless we have two things. We're not going to be able to open up this country unless we have two things for the foreseeable future. And one of them is making sure we social distance, which people are not doing and people are not being responsible whatsoever on social distancing. And the second one is making sure we have enough testing. Right now, we have about 150,000 tests a day in America. And if we really want to make sure that we can get America open, running, and make sure we uh, assure the safety of all Americans, if we want to get back to regular life, that's to be at least five to seven million tests per day. Not 150,000, five to seven million. We're nowhere clo- close to doing either of those things. We can't socially distance and we haven't gotten our testing in place. And quite frankly, it's, it's a mess right now. You know, we have states that aren't even following the federal guidelines of making sure that you have a de- decrease in hospitalizations for at least 14 days before you can start taking up taking measures to reopen your state. And Texas and Georgia aren't even anywhere close to doing that. But yet, guess what? They're re- reopening their state. You know, these Republican governors, uh, the governor of Texas, Henry Abbott, the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, they haven't even taken any of, any of this, any of the, the federal guidelines of when and how to reopen the economy and the state. They haven't taken any of that into account. They just decided to open up the state on data that I'm not even sure where they got it from. You know, um, they asked. I know a NBC reporter asked Brian Kemp during a, a press conference, where did you get this data from? And he really didn't have an answer for it. He just said, go look online. It's on, you know, whatever website. No, there's there's no data. This is These aren't data-driven decisions whatsoever. And you can juxtapose that with, the decisions made by Democratic governors, like in Michigan with Governor Whitmer, who is making sure that every single decision that she's making is driven by data. But that's the most important thing, especially when you have to take into account the people of color being so disproportionately affected by the coronavirus. You know, the, the data is obviously showing that that is the case. And it's extremely concerning to me when we look at these states that are opening in the South have high, um, even just for example, uh, Georgia is a state where one third of the population is African American. And what's so scary about the coronavirus is that it targets 
those who have pre-existing conditions. And African Americans do have higher rates of pre-existing conditions, such as hypertension, diabetes, high blood pressure, and asthma. And, you know, if someone who has these pre-existing conditions gets the coronavirus, they're going to attend far worse than someone who doesn't. And this is something I can speak to firsthand. I have family who has uh, high blood pressure and diabetes. And if they ever got the coronavirus, I'd be beside myself, you know? I don't know how I would deal with something like that. And this is just something that not only I have to face, that's something that all of us have to face in America right now, is the 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 sad reality of, you know, loved ones can possibly die from this. And that's why I brought up the question, how much does a dollar really cost? Uh, it's inspired from the song, How Much a Dollar Cost by Kendrick Lamar. And I think it has a lot of parallels to what we're facing right now in America as far as what's more important, getting the economy rolling and people making money and the prioritization of capitalism or the health and safety of Americans, not only Americans, but everybody, everybody in the world. And that's why I pose that question to you guys. How much a dollar really cost? Does the 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 cost of getting the economy started and opening these states up is it worth the deaths of thousands of people that we'll see within the next few months no it's not in my opinion and that's something that people need to think about more people are so fixated on making sure that they get the economy reopened but they're not addressing the effects that that will have on people who get affected by this and people don't really think about these type of things until it affects them personally. And I want people to keep in mind that these states such as Texas and Georgia, they are just objectively wrong with reopening the economy so soon during this pandemic. You know, and it's lulled people into this false sense of security where, you know, people where people are saying that the government has allowed them to, you know, start going to restaurants and reopen their salons again. So it must be safe, you know, but it's not. These states, such as Texas and Georgia, the governors didn't even follow the guidelines set up by the federal government to make sure that you have a decrease in hospitalizations for 14 days. These two states aren't even anywhere close to that, yet they're starting to reopen their states again. That's just extremely irresponsible. And it just goes to show the ineptitude of these governors, and primarily Brian Kemp. And that's uh, what I kind of want to get in today, is Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, and I wanted to give my listeners a little bit more background on who Brian Kemp is because he has gained a lot of notoriety throughout the past couple weeks because he is the first governor to open up his state again during this pandemic. And so before Brian Kemp was elected governor of Georgia, he was secretary of state of Georgia. And so as secretary of state, it's known that you step down from your position if you run for some other position like governor. And this is because as secretary of state, you can act as your own referee for whatever contest you're in. And unfortunately, Brian Kemp did not do this. So in 2018, he was essentially the referee for the race for governor against Stacey Abrams, as corrupt as that sounds. And and as a result of this, Kemp used tactics such as removing voter registration if you haven't voted in the last two elections in order to protect against quote-unquote voter fraud. But in reality, this wasn't the case. This was just another form of voter suppression at the end of the day. So Kemp was sued twice as a result of this, but because of all this was happening so close to the 2018 election date, 
It was a lost cause for the courts, and Kemp got what he wanted, unfortunately. But that's not all, folks. Kemp also rescinded voter registration for those who didn't have something called exact match. So if your name is Mark Jr. with a period at the end, and you wrote Mark Jr. without the period on your voter registration, then you're removed from voting. And as you can imagine, guys, this is something that disproportionately affected minorities. So, and to cherry on top of all this, was Kemp also closed many polling stations located in Georgia's bluest areas. So, 53 polling locations were closed in communities with large African-American populations. And this all uh, coalesced into this insanely corrupt form of voter suppression in Georgia, where Stacey Abrams was obviously the favorite to win and should have won the nomination for Georgia's governor. But instead, we got Brian Kemp instead. Um, and this is something that, you know, is still extremely frustrating to this day because we really need someone like Stacey Abrams in office in Georgia, not Brian Kemp. And on fast forward to 2018, and we have uh, mayors in Albany, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, all saying that they disagree with Brian Kemp's decision to reopen an economy again. And, you know, this is, this is, really makes no sense to me why he would do something like this. And, you know, we have mayors saying, stay inside, stay inside, stay inside. But we have the governor of the state saying, you know, we need to get things started again for whatever reason. It's just very, very concerning to me where all this is headed. So with all that being said, let's see what Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor of Texas, had to say about the reopening debate. Where we are. In Texas, we have 29 million people. We've lost 495, and every life is valuable. But 500 people out of 29 million, and we're locked down, and we're crushing the, the average worker, we're crushing small business, we're crushing the markets, we're crushing this country. And what I said when I was with you that night, there are more important things than living. And that's saving this country for my children and my grandchildren and saving this country for all of us. And I don't want to die. Nobody wants to die. But, man, we gotta, we got to take some risk and get back in the game and get this country back up and running. So let's get one thing straight here, Dan Patrick. As the U.S. economy tanks because the U.S. government, which you are a part of, Boston response to the coronavirus with half measures, the elites of this country have to figure out some way to get everyone on their side so that they can start making money again. Just the idea of telling the older generation that they should die in order to help the younger generation is just pure unadulterated capitalistic evil. And the sad part about all this is that people are just eating it right up. Now America has become so in love with late stage capitalism that we've become desensitized to statements like this, where we have people in positions of power telling the, the older generation to sacrifice themselves for the younger generation and the U.S. economy. And what's really unfortunate about all this is that the working class people of America aren't going to profit off this at all. It's going to be elites who own the means of production who are going to be able to profit off reopening the economy, while the working class are the ones who have to sacrifice themselves as they possibly expose themselves to COVID-19 while working. You know, in this scenario, working class people take all the risk while elites are perfectly safe and not even have to work while they just own the means of production. It's absolutely ridiculous. And this brings me to the protests that are happening all across the country. Now, in my opinion, these protests are completely inexcusable and just hypocritical. 
It goes against all the values Americans should be holding true during these dark times, I feel like. You know, these protesters, they're saying they're protesting for freedom and liberty, but the mere fact that they're going outside and congregating in huge groups is only spreading the virus more, which only increase the infections and deaths and thereby prolong the stay-at-home order for their states. So I just can't, I can't understand how protesters cannot connect the two dots of obeying stay-at-home orders will equal an expedited process for the stay-at-home order. <laughs> That shouldn't even be the justification in the first place. If I'm being honest here, these protesters should be willing to stay at home because it's their responsibility due to the fact that their actions will have a direct impact on many other Americans. And that's what's so sad about all this. These protesters are protesting for their freedom while simultaneously restricting the freedom and even warranting the death of many others. How backwards is that, you know? (laughs) And what's worse is uh, is the rhetoric that's being spread at these protests. We have you know, anti-vax and alt-right groups who kind of co-opted these protests to kind of spread their message during these dark times. There's even been an anti-Bill Gates movement in America during this pandemic, as crazy as that, as that sounds. Yeah, and yeah, I'm talking about Bill Gates, the co-founder of Microsoft, uh, the guy that's given billions of dollars to uh, philanthropy and has done probably more for the education of how to deal with pandemics worldwide than almost anybody else. And we have these people talking about how Bill Gates is the father of eugenics and that Bill Gates started this pandemic. And yeah, I know it sounds confusing, but the reason people are saying these type of things is because in a TED Talk a few years ago, Bill Gates was talking about the future population and how we'll reach around 9 billion people by the year 2050. Uh, And he's saying that we can cut that down to 8 to 8.5 billion with vaccines and better health care. Now, his whole point in this TED Talk was talking about investing in better health care across the world to better the lives of people. But the anti-vax community just took the quote of him saying that vaccines will decrease the future population and just ran with it as if it was confirmation for all their long-held beliefs. But in reality, what Bill Gates was saying, he was talking about the phenomena that if people have better access to healthcare, that they will live longer and have less kids. And so that's why the population of the earth is going to be less if we invest more into healthcare worldwide. <clears throat> but nowhere close to even mention the fact that vaccines will kill people. But for some reason, anti-vax... Um, community thought that was what he was saying which makes no sense which shows how how much they lack in critical thinking skills and it's really showing right now and but here we are today with uh, a lot of people saying bill gates is the next hitler and he's using vaccines to kill people and start a new world order if you look into this stuff it's absolutely crazy what people are saying it just surprises me how they can believe these far-fetched conspiracy theories but they can't even believe just basic information that we have doctors telling us every single day, such as, you know, social distancing, wash your hands, wear a mask, stay inside as much as you can. But they they don't believe that. But they believe that Bill Gates is the next Hitler somehow. It's absolutely crazy. And you can see how this rhetoric of anti-vax uh, can be so dangerous during uh, during a pandemic because, you know, People aren't going to get their vaccinations. They're going to hear about all these different things of how vaccinations will kill you or 
hurt you and hurt your family, that they're not going to get them. And it just uh, propagates the process of the coronavirus coming back and back and back. Um, and what's scary about it is that studies have shown that the coronavirus, uh, you aren't immune to it once you get it once. You can get it a second time or a third time. Now, they're still in the early stages of researching this. It'll still take some time to figure that out. But that just goes to show that people need to get their vaccinations when the time comes or the cures or whatever it may be when the time con- comes. But uh, this anti-vax community and the rhetoric is pulling people away from that. I don't know how many people it may be, but there's still a segment of people who believe what the anti-vax community is saying. And it's going to hurt a lot of people in the long run. So <clears throat> I just feel like misinformation was is truly one of the biggest plagues of our era and will be one of the biggest plagues for the foreseeable future especially as more people have access to media more people can create media and people want to consume more media um there's going to be a lot of different information floating around the world and it's going to be a very very dangerous thing because people there's one thing i've learned from this pandemic is that people will believe anything you know um, and that's why I try to, whenever I'm doing these podcasts or my blog or whatever it may be, I try to back everything up with, you know, direct evidence such as uh, quotes from uh, credible doctors or credible politicians or whatever it may be. Uh, also, I use statistics. A lot of statistics I used in this podcast I found on uh, the census, uh, census.gov site. Um, and that's... That's one thing I really want to pride myself on in this podcast is making sure I stay as credible as possible and uh, give you guys the best information I can. So with all that being said, I also wanted to talk about how all these protests that you see across the across the country got started. And one thing I've noticed with these protests is that they have the same impression as a lot of the Tea Party protests during the Obama presidency. And the Tea Party, if you don't know who they were, they were a conservative movement that wanted to repeal the Affordable Care Act, and they wanted to paint Obama as, honestly, one of the worst presidents ever. That was their whole movement, was to, whatever Obama was doing at the time, they were protesting against it. Um, And the thing with the Tea Party movement is that this movement was financially backed and propagated by conservative elites, like the Koch brothers. Uh, by the conservative elites of this country, uh, but was passed as a grassroots movement to make it seem a little bit more genuine. So even though this was anything but a grassroots movement, what people see on TV was everyday people protesting at these Tea Party protests. And the scary part about all this is that the same exact thing is happening right now with the protests across the country. What people don't understand is that a lot of these protests are funded and promoted by elites with close ties to Trump. We have protesters who have been mobilized all across the country to fight for their freedom, so to speak. And all this is being marketed as if it's an organic movement by the people, but it's anything but that. See, what we have here are protests across the country that are being driven from the top of America to mislead the bottom of America into believing their liberties are being infringed. But in reality, these protesters are nothing more than pawns in the eyes of the wealthy elite who incited and funded these protests. The only reason the top is driving and promoting these protests is to get the economy reopened so that they can get back to making money since they own the means of production in America 
And what good is it to own the means of production if you don't have the labor to go with it? Now, keep in mind, this comes at the cost of working-class Americans. So when the economy reopens too soon due to these protests, these working-class Americans will be the ones risking their lives and the lives of their loved ones as people inevitably contract the virus again. This can be seen in states such as Kentucky. One week after the Kentucky protests a couple weeks ago, the state has already experienced its largest spikes in the coronavirus cases. And unfortunately, other states will see similar spikes. So in conclusion, we have communities of color who have been proven to be extremely vulnerable to the coronavirus. A well-funded right-wing infrastructure that is willing to devalue human life in the pursuit of its political agenda. And wealthy elites who are willing to politicize this pandemic by inciting protests across the country to reopen despite whatever cost of life it may come at. So in the words of Kendrick Lamar, how much a dollar really cost? Because late-stage capitalism and its benefactors have deemed the cost of a dollar as more than the lives of many minorities in this country who need help more than ever right now. It is up to us to change that, because I believe that no economy or no amount of money should come at the expense of a human life.